Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us again this morning. Uh, we never take that for granted. We know you could be somewhere else. You could be at Dollywood or sleeping in or somewhere else, but you made an investment of your time, your energy to be here, and we're thankful for that. And we believe God will honor that if you made it in the right spirit, if you're here expecting something on the other side. If you just want to be entertained, that may happen. If you just want to have a good time, that may happen. If you stay for the food later, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some good food. But if you come expecting to actually connect with God, there's a good chance that that can happen. Because everything we're doing here this morning is with that in mind. Everything that we've done this morning was designed hoping and praying that the worship, the communion, the giving, and now walking through God's word, that it's been done in expectation that, that something will change on the other side, that God will meet us here and something will be different on the other side of what happens here. here here's what we know. Things work best when they do what they were designed to do the way they were designed to do it. That's why we care about the design of how we do this. But that's just true about all of life, and it's true about all of God's moral boundaries. This is the third week in a series on moral boundaries called What God Wants. And each one of these weeks, I'm going to remind you of this very simple truth. It's not a Bible verse, but it's very true. helps you understand a lot of stuff in life if you don't already know this. Here's all it is. Things work best when they do what they were designed to do the way they were designed to do them. And that's true about us. The way that matters to us and God and each other and God's moral boundaries is that God designed us and he designed the world and he knows what he meant when he created these ideas like relationships and marriage and, and worship and music and all the things that he, he knows what it's supposed to be. He knows the blueprint because he's the one who designed it. And when we trust him and we follow his pattern, it just works better. Everything he designed was to set us free. As a musician, one of my favorite things is uh, a keyboard. I love to just look at those 88 keys and all the possibilities there. But are you with me that a lot of times when we look at not, even, not only a valuable tool like that, but just all of God's rules, all the responsibilities and opportunities that we have, don't you sometimes want to play in the cracks? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like everything's designed with purpose, but we go, but why aren't there 89 keys? Why aren't there 90? What, what about if I play in the cracks? Am I going to get in trouble? How many have ever done this? Okay, there's four or five of us that are honest this morning. You, 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 know, you know that's what we do. We, uh, God says, do this, stay in this lane. And we go, I'm going to go to this lane for a second. That's, that's human nature, and it never works. One of the great joys in my life has been able to teach a lot of people how to play different instruments, and especially guitar. And if you've ever had the privilege of teaching a lot of anyone something, it's, there's some awkward moments. Some of you, some of my former students are in this room, and this is not anything against you, it's just speaking truth. There, there, there's some frustrating spots where you go, after the third or fourth week, no, you really have to tune it. You really do. Or, or where you have to say things like, um, no, that's not a C chord. I'm actually not sure that's a chord at all. 
But nobody, listen to me, nobody ever gets into anything important like that. Sharing, uh, teaching someone how to play anything, how to drive, how to read, how to do math. Nobody gets into teaching because they love those awkward moments, do we? It's because we know that on the other side of that, there's a possibility that that student could become a friend. That could be somebody who actually knows how to play the guitar that you could jam with. Maybe, and this has happened so many times and it just is so exciting to me, they get better than I ever have been. And they get to go make music and they create new music that never existed before. On their own. They lead worship in places I'll never get to lead worship. They do stuff like that. That is the kind of thing that keeps any teacher going and motivated. And, and all, the, all the other stuff is worth it. Is this making sense? This, this is the spirit of mercy. This is the spirit of what we're talking about this morning. When the Bible talks about mercy. In this series, instead of fo really focusing on the things God doesn't want, we're focusing on the things he wants. And, and again, today it's about mercy. When we tend to hear the word mercy, the first thing we tend to think about is not punishing someone for something they did wrong. Am I right? That's, have mercy. That means, you know, don't, don't hurt me, even though I deserve it. But it's so much deeper than that. The biblical idea of mercy, I hope by the end of this, we'll not only understand it more, but also own it more. I hope that on the other side of what we do here this morning, that we'll get this and just love it. That's one of God's dreams, is that we love mercy. When I was growing up, there was a song version of one of these key scriptures we've been using, Micah 6.8. We used to sing it. If it's okay, I'd like you to sing that with me this morning. If you don't know it, the words are up here. The, the, the gold part is, is the part that we all sing together. And the part that's white and has little ellipses after it, those are echoes. And I'll sing it once. If you already know this, if you remember this, this is old school, just belt it out already. And if you don't, you'll pick up on it really easy. But I really want this verse to stick. This is one of those keyhole moments in the scripture where God goes, if you get this, it's going to unlock a whole bunch of other stuff for you. Here's how this song goes. He has shown thee, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You guys are good. That was beautiful. Let's try it one more time, and I apologize. I'm going to pitch it down just a little bit. might be a little easy. There we go. Ready? He has shown thee, oh man. What is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Nice. That was beautiful. But this idea of mercy, once you really start getting what it means to God, it's actually pretty easy to love. But one of the reasons that a lot of times we don't love it or one of the reasons why we think we love it and we, and we don't see any results on the other side is because we, we confuse it with something that looks very similar on the surface but is almost the opposite. And that is enabling. I don't know if you've ever heard that term or not but you'll probably understand it as well today. But my, I hope on the other side of what happens here today that 
you're going to hate enabling and just not do that anymore if you've been doing that. And you're going to love mercy and you're going to embrace that and practice that. Mercy and enabling are not the same thing. Would you say that out loud with me? Mercy and enabling are not the same thing. Here's how they look similar. Both of them give people multiple chances. Both of them are costly. Both of them are painful. Both of them are messy. Both of them are hard. But here's where they change. They change in their motivation and they change in what they're hoping for on the other side. Mercy offers hope and freedom. When people who are merciful offer patience, they're patient with another person. It's because they really believe that something else is going to happen on the other side. They're trying to give them one more chance so that someday that person can be free. Mercy strategically provides time and space. Mercy strategically provides time and space because there's a hope, there's a desire, there's a prayer that there's going to be change on the other side. In Psalm 85, the whole psalm is a beautiful prayer where they're coming back to God again. I've just got a couple of these verses, but as always, I hope you take all of these scriptures that are kind of referenced and put on screens. I hope you take this back home and really dig deep with God on your own. But here's a couple of snippets from that beautiful psalm. Now restore us again, O God. Hear that word again. How many know that when you offer people mercy, when God offers you mercy... It usually happens more than once. Yeah. Now restore us again, O God. Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. By the end of this whole beautiful prayer, though, of of coming back to God and asking for mercy and thanking him for his love, though, listen how he ends it. But let them not return to their foolish ways. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, so our land will be filled with his glory. Listen to that purpose. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. So our land will be filled with his glory. Once again, this this goes back to that other key whole moment that Jesus gave us in John 15, where he says that God is like a gardener and that he himself, Jesus, is the ultimate grapevine and we're the branches. And he said that the gardener has purpose and that everything he does is designed for a specific thing. And he prunes the branches so that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Again, one more time, quick reminder. We are in this metaphor, we are very puny little branches. But the other really beautiful thing to remember is that we are his. When we are connected to him, there is so much potential, so much So much joy, so much ability to actually produce fruit. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, uh, Russ referred to that earlier in the communion thing, and I I really appreciate that. It says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. How many are thankful for that one? Boy, I am. There's been a lot of times when in, in my life, um, pretty much every morning to some degree, but some mornings more than others. You know what I'm talking about? We're just so thankful that you've got one more chance to, to maybe get it right this time. But it's so important that as we, as we learn to love God's mercy and appreciate it, that we don't try to take advantage of it. If we do that, we miss the whole point. 
Because his mercies are new every morning so that we have another chance to get it right. Not because he just loves forgiving us so much. C.S. Lewis says, mercy detached from justice grows unmerciful. Mercy detached from justice grows unmerciful. In other words, when you just keep giving someone chances and chances and chances for no reason, with no purpose, no hope of change on the other side, you're actually making things worse for them. That's called enabling. Enabling ignores sin and it justifies sin. It adapts to and covers up and plans around the very things that destroy the people that we say we love. Let me say that one more time. I want to make sure I got this right and you hear it right. Enabling ignores or justifies sin, adapting to, covering up, and planning around the things that destroy others. Say this line with me if you would. Enabling helps others stay trapped and in slaves. Is that really what you want? The people that you love enough to give another chance, is that what you hope is going to happen on the other side of that? It's not what God wants for you, and it's not what he wants us to extend mercy about. He wants us to change even as we give mercy. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 7, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Notice that's a condition. He makes it even clearer in chapter 6. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. To love mercy is not just to appreciate how much that God forgives you, but to become merciful in the process. You start to see the change that his mercy produces in you, and you, you love that, and so you extend mercy a little bit easier than it used to be to other people because you think maybe there's hope for them too. Almost every church I've ever seen has Noah's Ark. Um, somewhere in their children's apartment, including Morrison Hill Christian Church. I, I, and it's cute. I understand why. There's, there's a boat and usually a hill and maybe some water nearby, usually not. And, and, and animals, lots of animals, rows of animals. It's cute. It's fine. It's kind of a creepy story, though. It's actually about God's justice. It's not really about how much he loves Noah and those animals. It's, it's more about... That's the merciful thing he was doing in the midst of destroying everything else. Sometimes we forget that God's justice is pretty powerful. But I, I do want to remind you in the middle of this, so that even in the moments like that, where we go, how could a loving God be that judgmental, that serious about how much he does hate sin, that, that willing to just destroy everything if it doesn't go with his will? I like that in 1 Peter 3, verses 19 and 20, when Peter is talking about how amazing Jesus was and what a huge difference he made. He's talking about those couple of days where Jesus' body was in the grave, but his soul was wherever the dead people go. And here's what he wrote. So he went, he's talking about Jesus, so he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. You catch that? They got another chance. It doesn't specifically say that, but I have a hard time believing that if those guys got a chance, that all the other people who died in the Old Testament, all the other people that the Israelites wiped out and things like that, that they must not have heard that as well. Now, I don't know about you, if I'm already in the bad section of the place of the dead, 
And Jesus himself shows up to tell me there's one more chance. I'm pretty sure I'd take it. How about you? Would you take that? I think so too. But here's the thing. Since then, we don't have that promise. We don't have an idea that on the other side of this life that we've got one more chance in heaven where Jesus will preach one final sermon. We don't have that. Instead, what we have is some words straight from Jesus himself and from his apostles that tell us what he does still offer. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus himself says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Do you hear that intention? Hear that strategy? See him extending time and space for us to try and get it right, for us to finally get this message worldwide, for us to finally reach out to all the little pockets, all the little groups, all the little people groups and distinct nations, as the Bible calls them. Because that's the merciful heart of God. Abraham Lincoln said, I have always found that mercy bears richer fruits than strict justice. I don't know if he was referring to that fruit metaphor of Jesus or not, but I agree with him. That's a good thing. I've always found that mercy bears richer fruits than strict justice. Here's one thing, though. There's not a slide for this, but I need to make sure that everybody hears me on this one, okay? Because I'm being very bold, and I'm just telling you the scriptural truth on this about mercy, and I'm being very bold and, and, and just honest about how dangerous enabling can be, but I need you to hear this as well. We're only responsible for our actions. Are you with me? We're not responsible for the results. You're responsible to show mercy in a strategic and loving way the way God does. You're responsible to make sure that you're not actually enabling people. You're responsible for that. You're not responsible for the choices they make on the other side. If the things you are doing... If you're literally doing everything you possibly can right for all the right reasons, that's all God expects from you. The danger is if you're doing a bunch of good things and some other things maybe for good reasons but not the best reasons, you might be enabling and you're going to be held accountable for that as well. But one last time and then we're going to keep on going. You're only accountable for your side of this story. You're accountable for what you do. You're not accountable for what they do. Everybody got that? Okay. Back to enabling. Enablers are generous people usually. I don't know if you've ever known some people who enable others. But some of them are the kindest and most gentle and loving people you'll ever meet. They have huge hearts and empty wallets because they're always spending everything they have on the people that they love. But enabling is where... You're just trying to make them look better. Maybe trying to make yourself look a little better because you're still tied to them somehow. There's no hope on the other side. And so what you're really doing is you're being really generous and really creative. But what you're, all that generosity and all that creativity is going into just surviving better than you could otherwise. Mercy, on the other hand, provides practical tools and a new start. 
Let's say that one out loud. Mercy provides practical tools and a new start. This is really the heart of the idea of mercy in the Bible. It's bigger than the idea of giving people second chances when they mess up. It's bigger than forgiveness. That's probably the most common and the, the one that we experience the most from God, the one that we're expected to extend the most to other people. But that's only a piece of what it is. Mercy is bigger than that. It's deeper than that in Scripture. For example, in Mark 10, we have the story, I think you've heard it. We, I, I actually mentioned it not too long ago, but there's a beggar who was blind. And he was considered so unworthy by the people around him that we don't even know his name. We just know his dad's name. He's called Bar Timaeus, which means the son of Timaeus. But when he called out to Jesus, do you remember what he called out to him? He said, Jesus, son of David, have... Yeah. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He hadn't done anything wrong to Jesus. He hadn't done something that Jesus had to forgive him for any more than any other human being on the whole planet. We've all sinned somehow. But that's not what he was talking about. He knew that Jesus could do something right then that would change the rest of his life forever. He knew Jesus had some power that could reach out to him in his moment of need and it could just turn. Things would be different. That's the idea of mercy. And mercy is also always tied up with a a relationship somehow. Even back in the Old Testament when God was about to give them the Ten Commandments. We see this in Exodus 24. Before Moses and Joshua went up on the mountain, before they went up there, God actually had them get together with the people and they all agreed to a covenant. They made the relationship commitment first, even before they saw the rules. The rules weren't the point. The rules were what were going to define the relationship. You should go back and read that whole chapter later. I don't have time to unpack it. But here's what I need you to see in this. His rules and his mercy make his plans possible. His rules and his mercy make his plans possible. They're not the plan in and of themselves. Another one. Many years after that, long after Joshua was no longer Moses' assistant, now he's leading Israel, and they have conquered pretty much all they're going to conquer in the promised land Uh, God actually has Joshua set up these cities of refuge and the cities of refuge were there to for in case someone accidentally killed someone and they were still under the law of eye for eye tooth for tooth life for life kind of thing but God again you see his mercy throughout he made that rule but that wasn't his big plan was let's just kill him if they kill somebody let's just kill him that was not God's heart So he set up these uh, cities of refuge. Hey, do you guys remember playing tag? Yeah. Some of us who still spend some time with young people or spent huge chunks of our life doing that, it's more fresh in our memories than others. But it's a fun game. Tag is fun. And how how many know that base can be the most irritating part of the whole game, but it's also really fun. You, you, know, you know both of those are true. Well, Cities of Refuge was kind of like base in a game of tag. If they could get there before the guy chasing them to kill them got to them, they were safe. Nobody was allowed to touch them. And so in this new place, this new city, they got a brand new start. They couldn't leave. If they left the city of, if the city of Refuge, they were fair game again. But if they stayed there, they got to kind of start their life over. That was mercy. Psalm 19. 
It's a wonderful prayer. The entire psalm, I hope you go back and just read it and meditate on it, pray it to God. But at, toward the end, um, the psalmist writes this, How can I know the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free from guilt and innocent from great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the hope on the other side of God's mercy every time. He spends most of that psalm praying for mercy. He starts out talking about how glorious the world is and how God, he sees God's design. And then he spends a lot of time going, man, I've really messed this up again. Please have mercy. But by the end, he remembers, this is what I really need. I actually want to become innocent. I actually want to become free from guilt. I want to get to the spot where my words and my meditation, the thoughts in my head even, are pleasing to you. You're not just having to forgive me all the time. I'm actually making you happy. He's connecting that this is God's vision and this becomes part of his prayer. And when this becomes part of our prayer, there's actually hope because that's actually the way God designed it. And things work better when they do what they were designed to do, the way they were designed to do. Here's the problem with enablers, though. God love them all. Man, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm str I struggle with this one a lot. I'll just be straight up. This is, this is, I, I tend to be so merciful that you could get away with anything, and that's just that. That, that tends to be part of how, how I'm wired. So this is a weakness for me. And if you feel like I'm stepping on your toes or judging you in any way, please know that's not it. I'm just telling you the truth this morning. But here's the biggest danger about enabling. Enablers, here's what really happens is they just give up. Enablers accept that the pain and the messiness of sin is inescapable. It's not, but that's what, that's what they settle for. They go, you know what, we're never getting out of this. Sometimes we take it even further and we go, you know what, maybe this was God's plan. God's still good, so if they're doing that bad thing, maybe he actually planned that. Maybe he designed them that way. Maybe that was... It's not true. It's lies. It's never God's plan that we derail out of the boundaries that he has set up. He can redeem that. He can fix that, but it's never his plan. But enablers just give up. The merciful, however, never give up. Those that offer mercy, those who accept mercy and pass that on to others, they refuse to accept the chains that bind the people that they love as normal. They refuse to accept the chains that bind the people they love as normal. And they're willing to sacrifice anything to destroy those chains. And they provide them with hope, and with tangible goals. They say, hey, I'm going to give you another chance. And here's what you're going to do about it today. Here's what I'm going to do about it today. And then tomorrow we go, I'm going to give you another chance. But here's what we're going to do. We don't just say, okay, fine. I got this. Just keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to cover it up somehow. That actually destroys the hope of God actually doing what he longs to do. Another place in the scripture, very commonplace, where I know you have heard this story and I know you've got this, but it, it talks about how this bigger idea of mercy that's bigger than just forgiveness is the story of the Good Samaritan. And it comes after Luke's account of Jesus giving that 
that keyhole moment that's always behind us on the stage here, that love the Lord your God with everything you've got, love others that's always tied together and that's always at the heart of his will. But right after Jesus shares that, the guy says, so who's my neighbor? Who's this person I'm supposed to love like I love myself? And Jesus turns that around and tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. How many have ever heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Okay, so thank you got that. But let's skip to the end. Let's skip to the moral of the story, the punchline, whatever you want to call it. This is, this is the thing. At the end, Jesus, Jesus says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him, you say it. This guy hadn't done anything bad to the Samaritan. He didn't have anything to forgive him for. He's talking about the kind of mercy that just says, hey, this guy, if I leave him to die like those other two did, that's going to be the end. I refuse to accept that. I refuse to accept that. I'm going to do whatever I can do. He's not responsible for what that guy did. After he checks him into the hotel, pays his bill, and leaves, he doesn't know. We don't get to see what kind of good or bad decisions that guy made on the other side of that. He's not responsible for that. He's only responsible for what he did. But man, he did it. And Jesus said, now go and do the same. Psalm 18 is another psalm I'd love for you to go back, walk through, and just, just pray through and see that. In this, you see David understanding as he prays this poem of worship. He, he understand, he's understanding, you can see it in real time as he's understanding this, that God not only forgave him when he failed, but he gave him the power that he had that got him through anything that ever was good in his life. Jude only has one chapter, so there's only verses for that, verses 20 to 25. This is where we're really bringing this home to what do we do about this. If you're not picking up on that yet, this is, this is the response that I hope that we all have. These last couple passages and this last story, I hope this really connects. Jude says, but you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Do you hear that? God is able to keep you from falling away. He is able to... Uh, bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. And that's why he offers you and offers me mercy. James 1, verses 12 to 15, these are just a few of those verses. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Once again, do you see this hope that God has for us? Do you see this moment that he's dreaming about where instead of just every single morning, we don't just say, please forgive me again, but we go, thank you for another chance to get it right. Do you see the beauty in his big plan and how much deeper it is than just forgiveness or meeting a specific need? It's him catching us up into his vision. It's him 
pruning us so that we can bear more fruit. The entire chapter of Matthew chapter 18 is an amazing, powerful chapter where Jesus talks about forgiveness and restoration, sometimes how you have to start over if you can't restore things, but how to do that right. It talks about a bunch of different, really practical things. I hope if you don't already have that whole chapter almost memorized, I hope you go back and get really, really walk through that on your own with God. But there's a story in there, I know you've heard the story, the unmerciful servant. And here's what happens. This is how we're wrapping up today. This guy owes the king lots and lots of money, maybe millions of dollars, an untold amount, no way he could ever pay it back. And the, the king is going to put him and his entire family into prison or cast them into slavery to pay back this debt because he knows it's not going to get paid back. But the guy begs for mercy. He asks him, for, uh, please, just think about this. How am I going to pay you back if I'm in prison? How, how could you possibly get, how is this going to work? And it actually makes a little bit of sense. And he actually feels bad. So he shows him mercy. And he, he gets to go free. And on the guy's way home, he sees somebody who owes him much, much, much less than he ever owed. But he gets that guy thrown into prison. And the king, at the end of the story, if you remember what he does is he, he, when he finds out about this, he changes things back around and takes away that mercy that he had extended to the first guy. Because his dream was not just that this guy go free. His dream was not just that he didn't have to pay the debt. His dream was not that he just didn't go to prison. His dream was that he became a merciful person on the other side of that experience. His dream was that he would love mercy. The king did not want to be an enabler. He wanted to be someone who was merciful. And there's a big difference. And the king knew that. Is this making sense? And that is the kind of mercy that God wants us to extend to others. As the band comes up this morning, um, I, I want to just take about a minute of just silence. I'm going to give you space here, space and time. You haven't done anything bad to me. But I'd like you to pray or maybe even write something down about these two things, these, these two big challenges. If you've got a, a decision you want to make public, of course, always, always, you're welcome to do that. We, we'd love to have you come, give your life to Jesus, get baptized, join the church, whatever you want to do. There's always going to be people here who are praying, ready to pray for you, no matter what you need prayer about. But listen, I'm going to give you about a minute. If you guys just give us uh, just about a minute. Write down something that you know God needs to give you mercy for. And you're accepting that. By writing that down, you're saying, God, I, I accept that mercy. Understanding that there needs to be change on the other side. Either that or maybe both of these. The other one is this. Is there someone you need to show mercy? Is there some way that God is asking you to be merciful? Understanding that his dream is not that you just keep them out of prison or keep them in the trap that they're in, but that you somehow there's something he wants you to do that just might set them free if they make the right choice. Then in a moment, we're going to stand and sing.
That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.